Great to be outside today and to worship. Some of you I see are way far back, but I hope that you can hear me and enjoy the time and God's word that we're going to spend together. Thank you, Linda, for leading us in prayer so meaningfully and for the worship team leading us in songs of praise. Let's open our Bibles now and expect to hear from God as he speaks to us in this great passage, Ephesians chapter 3, and I'm going to read the whole prayer of the Apostle Paul from verse 14 through verse 21. We started here last week, and as Brandon said, we're going to spend three weeks in this great prayer of the Apostle. Let's worship God as we hear his word together. Ephesians 3, beginning at verse 14. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. I pray that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints What is the length and width, height and depth of God's love, and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus, to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. A pastor once said, if you read any part of the Bible and do not find yourself moved to pray, go back and read it again. You didn't understand it. I find that an arresting piece of counsel. As we're reading the Bible, as we're hearing the voice of God, it should move us to commune with God, to talk with him. The the effect of hearing God speak to us should be that we get on our knees and respond to him and bow to his authority and say, Father, I want to respond to what I've heard from you. So if you're reading the Bible and you don't find yourself moved to pray, go back and read it again until your heart is moved. And that's what the Apostle Paul is modeling for, the, for us in this beautiful section. He's been unfolding this, this great gospel of our salvation in Ephesians 1 through 3, and he's so moved by what he has been writing that he gets down on his knees. He bows before the Father in this humble posture of submission to the Father's authority, and he pleads for the people to whom he's writing this letter and for all of those who will hear the letter, including us, that the Lord would work in our hearts a a warmth toward the things that we've been reading and hearing. He's asking the Father to strengthen them by his Spirit so that they might experience the presence of Christ coming to take up permanent residence in their hearts. And that's what Pastor Brandon ministered to us last week. Now this week, we're going to focus on the second request of the Apostle Paul that begins in the middle of verse 17 through verse 19. Here Paul is pleading with the Father 
to strengthen these believers so that they will be enabled to grasp the love that Christ has for them. And look at what he tells us about this love in verse 19. He says it's a love that surpasses knowledge. It's beyond our ability to fully comprehend this love. And yet, that's what God wants to help us do today. He wants to help you, he wants to help me comprehend, grasp in a deeper way the love that Christ has for us. The reason the Holy Spirit is inviting us into this prayer room of the Apostle Paul is that he wants us to join Paul in praying for the experience of knowing this love that surpasses knowledge. Now, we can know things, but not have it deeply affect us. Let me give you an example. How many of you know about Yellowstone National Park, or you've been there, and you've seen Old Faithful, that that geyser erupt? I've been there, and, and I found it amazing. And you could tell me that the reason this geyser is erupting is because in the earth's crust, there is this substance called magma, and it makes this water hot. And I would appreciate that piece of information, but it wouldn't necessarily amaze me. And then I read this. I I read about how scientists discovered a new magma, magma reservoir underneath the magma that they already knew was there. And and this is something that started to really amaze me. When I comprehended this, they they say that this reservoir underneath the surface magma, this reservoir fills, it's so big, it contains enough magma that it could fill the Grand Canyon 11 times over. Now I've gone a little bit deeper into comprehending what it is that makes this, this geyser erupt, the magnitude of what's going on underneath the surface. And I'm, I'm a little bit more amazed now. And that's what God wants to do for us today. He wants to deepen our comprehension of the magnitude of Christ's love for us so that we're amazed by it. He wants to grant us the, the sublime privilege of knowing this love that surpasses knowledge. And so in order to go deeper into the knowledge of this love that Christ has for us, we're going to make four observations from verses 17 through 19. These these observations will help us join the Apostle Paul in seeking to know this love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Here's the first observation. Number one, we will grow in the Christian life only insofar as as we know that we are loved by God. You can only grow in the Christian life insofar as you know that you are loved by God. This is why it matters so much. You might think that knowing the love of Christ is an experience that only belongs to a special group of Christians. Or you might think that it's only the highly emotional types of Christians who need to understand how much God loves them. But you're more rational than that. You can can leave all that love stuff aside and you can just kind of get on with doing the Christian life without getting too much into the love of God. But that's not how the Apostle Paul views it. In verse 17, 
he uses two images, two metaphors. He uses a botanical image and an architectural image to highlight how essential it is for Christians to know the love that God has for us. He says that we are rooted and we are grounded in love. The first metaphor is botanic, botanical. We are rooted in love. What he means is that love is the soil in which we've been planted by God. It's in that soil that we grow into maturity in Christ. And we can't make any growth, we can't make any progress in the Christian life outside of that soil of God's love for us. Just like the soil patiently sustains and supports the growth of a plant, that's what the love of Jesus does for us. Friends, we don't only experience the love of Jesus in exciting episodes of ecstatic experiences. We experience the love of Jesus in the way he nurtures us, in the way he feeds us, in the way he cares for us, in the way he protects us day by day. We're constantly being nourished by his patient and faithful love. And in order to grow taller and stronger in the Christian life, these roots of, uh, that the roots of our lives need to go deeper and deeper into the soil of God's love. You're only going to make progress in your battle against sin insofar as you know that you're loved by God. You will only serve and worship God insofar as you believe that he loves you. And the more you comprehend his love for you, the more you're going to want to serve and worship him. And the second metaphor that, that Paul uses is architectural. He says we are grounded in love, or we are founded in love, or established in love. In other words, God's love for us in Christ is the foundation on which our Christian lives are built. And a building cannot grow beyond its foundation. If you want to expand the building, the foundation's got to grow and be enlarged. If you move off the foundation, the building's going to cave in. And that's what happens if we move off the foundation of God's love for us in Christ. We start to crumble. We start to cave in. So if the roots of your life are going down deep into the love of God, and if God's love for you in Jesus is the very foundation upon which you're building your life, it will radically change how you live. You will not be as fearful anymore if you know that Jesus loves you. You will not need people's approval as much if you know how much God loves you in Christ. You will not be tempted to wallow in self-pity if, if your roots are going deep into the soil of God's love. You will not be filled with self-hatred if you know that you are loved by God in Christ. You will not be stuck on yourself at all if you know how much God loves you in Christ. This is a love that, that turns you outward and moves you in humility to love and to serve others. So that's the first observation this morning. We can grow as Christians only insofar as we grasp God's love for us. This is the essential nutriment for Christian growth. It's the foundation upon which God is building our lives. Now, the second observation is this. We've seen how, an import, how important it is for us to know God's love for us in Christ. But secondly, we need to understand that knowing God's love 
in this way. Knowing God's love in a way that refreshes and energizes us and turns us outward in service to others and frees us from, from the bondage of sin and, and, and self-pity and selfishness. Knowing God's love in this way does not come naturally. That's the second observation. It does not come naturally. It doesn't just happen. Knowing God's love is something that you can know in your mind. You can know the doctrine of his love. But you can still not have it really working itself out in your experience. C.S. Lewis once said that your theology, your doctrine, your beliefs, these things, they relate to your actual Christian life the way a map relates to a country. So you can study a map of Hawaii. You can know where all the different islands are located in relation to one another. You can even zoom in on Google Earth and get a kind of fuzzy picture of the beach. But how vastly different that is from feeling the warmth of the sun and the fresh breezes and smelling the tropical flowers as you sit on the beach in Maui and look across the water at the islands of Lanai and Molokai. That is a vastly different experience of Hawaii than just studying it on a map. And that's the way it is with the love of God in Jesus. You can learn the song, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. The way I'm singing it over and over again to our granddaughter these days. You can know John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. But there's a vast difference between knowing about the love of God in Christ and actually experiencing his love in a way that transforms your life. And that's what Paul is praying for these believers. You see that in verse uh, 17. He's asking, he's asking, or in verse 18, that they may have strength to comprehend, as it says in the ESV, or power to grasp this love that surpasses knowledge, as it says in the NIV. What Paul is showing us here is that we need a special ministry of the Holy Spirit. We need the heart-strengthening ministry of the Holy Spirit to enable us to comprehend the love that God has for us in Christ. And the reason is our hearts are not strong enough to comprehend it because his love is so potent. His love is so mighty. His love is so spiritually radioactive that our hearts can't contain it. It's like if you tried to take a hot coal off the charcoal grill and put it into a little plastic Ziploc bag. What's going to happen to that bag? It's just going to melt because it's not strong enough to contain that hot coal. And that's why our hearts need a powerful reinforcement from the Holy Spirit in order to contain, in order to comprehend, to take in the experience of God's love. So that's what Paul is praying for. He's praying for this heart-strengthening ministry because he knows it's not going to come naturally. 
He prays that we'll have ability to comprehend or to grasp this love that surpasses knowledge. And that word comprehend or grasp, it's a powerful word. It's a word that usually means to be ambushed, to be taken by surprise, to be surrounded and captured and stunned by something. That's how Paul wants our hearts to be taken by the love of Christ. He wants the love of Christ to ambush our hearts. He wants the love of Christ to take us captive, to ransack our lives so that we are amazed. One, one pastor I, I read used the word thunderstruck. Paul's praying that we would be thunderstruck by the love of God in Christ. See, you can know that God loves you, but you don't really know until you're amazed and thunderstruck by the love that he has for you, until your heart has become captivated by the love of God in Jesus. And that's what we need. Paul prays for it because it doesn't come naturally. We need the heart-strengthening ministry of the Holy Spirit. Tim Keller puts it like this, the Spirit of God has to coat your inner being so that when the truths of the word come into you, they stick. That's what Paul's praying for. He's asking that the Spirit of God would coat their inner being so that they would grasp the love that Christ has for us, so that it would stick. We hear all kinds of things from God's word that aren't sticking. We take in all kinds of truth, and, and sometimes it goes in and out. It doesn't capture us. So this doesn't come naturally. We need the Spirit. So the first observation this morning, you can only grow insofar as you know you're loved. And the second observation, this doesn't come naturally. It requires a work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. And then the third observation is this. You cannot fathom Christ's love on your own. You can't get this in isolation from other believers. It would be easy to think at this point, okay, I want my heart to be captured by the love of God in Christ. So I'm going to go off on a retreat all by myself and I'm going to spend a week alone praying and fasting and reading until my heart is captured. And I can understand why we would think that way and I don't think it would hurt any of us to spend more time with God alone. But actually what Paul is praying for here is that we would have this experience together. Notice how he prays. He asks that these believers would have strength to comprehend God's love in Christ together with all the saints. I've got to find Ephesians again in my Bible. The wind blew me back to Galatians. <laughs> So, together with all the saints, verse 18, as we grow in our grasp of God's love, we need to be doing it in a community with other believers. We, when we're seeking to know the love of Christ in fellowship of, with other believers, that's when we can grow in this experience. When you embrace the fullness of Christ's body, then you can experience the richness of of Christ's love 
If you isolate yourself from the church, your experience of God's love in Christ will be anemic at best. If you come to church like a consumer to get some product for yourself, then you're going to have a shallow and superficial experience of God's love. But something beautiful happens when you pursue the knowledge of Christ's love for you and fellowship with other believers who are different from you, who have different life experiences, different ethnic and economic backgrounds, different struggles, different ages. It's when we're in fellowship with the body and seeking Christ together, that's when we can experience the multi-dimensional love of God in Christ. So just what, what, what we need to see here is we need to embrace the fellowship of believers. Don't neglect gathering together with other Christians. Even when they disappoint you, even when you find it hard to relate to them, believe that it's in community that you will grow into a deeper experience of God's love. You cannot fathom Christ's love on your own. And the last question this morning is how? What can we do? What can we do to grow in this experience of God's love for us in Christ? And that's the fourth observation this morning. It's through meditation. Meditation is the pathway to comprehending Christ's love. And when I use this word meditation, I don't mean emptying your mind so that you can discover your true self. That's kind of how the world uses meditation. It's, it's getting your mind empty so that you can find your true self. Christian meditation is filling your mind with the truth of God so that you can come to know God better. It's dwelling so deeply on the Word of God that it begins to transform you. So meditation is what happens in between Bible reading and prayer. It's the bridge from Bible reading into prayer and communion with God. When we hear God's word, we're not supposed to just let it go in ear, one ear and out the other. We're supposed to chew on it, to mull on it, to keep dwelling on it and praying over it until it penetrates our souls and we experience the power of the truth. One of the Puritans said it like this, meditation is praying the truth into your soul until it catches fire. That's what we need to do. Pray the truth into our souls until it catches fire. And Paul is giving us a model of this here in his prayer. It, it's like Paul's inviting us into his own devotional life here. He's showing us his own prayer journal. He's meditating on the love of God in Christ. And as he meditates on the love of God in Christ, he writes down these four dimensions that we see in verse 18. The breadth, the length, the height, and the depth. And what I want to invite you to do is to join me in meditating on these dimensions of Christ's love as we prepare our hearts to receive the Lord's Supper together. First, the breadth, or some versions say the width, how wide or how broad. This, this dimension shows us Christ's accepting love. How broad does the love of Christ spread? 
Well, we've already seen in Ephesians 2 that the love of Christ has broken down the great barrier, the dividing wall of hostility that separated the Jews from the Gentile world and kept the Gentiles alienated on the outside. The love of Jesus is broad enough to embrace people from every nation, every background, anyone who comes to him for mercy can be embraced by the love of Christ. How broad is the love of Christ? Well, think about it this way. Is there anyone in your life that you're tempted to give up on? Anyone who you think that person must be be beyond the reach of God's love? Today, ask the Spirit of God to strengthen your heart, to comprehend the breadth of the love of Christ until you're no longer feeling despair about that person. Ask the Spirit of God to help you comprehend the breadth of Christ's love so that you're no longer feeling prejudiced toward any group of people. And maybe you wonder if I myself, have I sinned beyond the reach of his love? Is my background too immoral? Am I too poor or too privileged or too idolatrous or too dysfunctional for Jesus to accept me, for Jesus to embrace me? Listen to what God says through the prophet Isaiah. He says, come, let's settle this, says the Lord. Though your sins are scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they are crimson red, they will be like wool. So scarlet, what is that? That's the color of blood. And what God is saying to us is, it doesn't matter who you are, or what you've done, even if you've got blood on your hands, even if you're a murderer, if you've killed people, my son Jesus has died on the cross so that you can be saved, not by any works that you've done, but by my grace through faith in Jesus. Even if your sins are scarlet, if you will repent of trying to be your own savior and run to Jesus for refuge, you'll find there's nothing that you've ever done or anything that you ever could do that will put you beyond the reach of God's love. That's how broad the love of Christ is. It's only on a cross that a man dies with his arms outstretched wide, as if to say to all who are far off and all who are near, come to me, come to me. And that's the breath of Christ's love. He will accept anyone who comes to him for mercy. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So meditate on the breadth of his love and then on the length of his love. Here we're thinking about how lasting the love of God in Jesus is. His is a lasting love. How long will his love last? Well, his love is a love that says, I will never, no, never leave you nor forsake you. It's a love that began before the foundation of the world when in love God predestined us to be adopted into sonship in his family. And it's a love that will continue to the end of time and beyond. It's a love that will never let us go. We've all had people in our lives who said they loved us and we discovered that their love was short-lived. We all know what it's like to have friends who stick with us as long as we do what they like. And maybe you wonder if that's what God is like. Will he love you? Will he accept you as long as you're living a good life and you don't do anything too bad that displeases him? Will he give up on you if you're not changing fast enough? 
Will he get frustrated with your constant failures and stumblings? No. Consider, meditate on the length of Christ's love. Jesus said, I know my own. I give them eternal life and no one can pluck them out of my hand. No matter how badly you've blown it, no matter how often you disappoint him, his love will never give up on you. Even if you try to run away from him, you can't outrun him. The length of his love will outlast your stamina to rebel. Wherever you run from him, his love will be there to rescue you and receive you back into his arms. That's the length of his love. Now meditate with me on the height of his love. How high is the love of Christ? This refers to the heights to which he will exalt those who belong to him. This is speaking about where Jesus wants to take us. We've already heard about how when God saved us by his grace, he didn't just rescue us from hell. No, it says in Ephesians 2.6, he also raised us up with him. And he seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. The heights of his love. You ever wonder, is it worth it to be a Christian? Will the benefits outweigh the cost? Well, consider the heights to which God's love is going to take you. It's a glory so great that the biblical writers stagger to describe it. John says this, Dear friends, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. But we know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. The heights of Christ's love are what caused Jesus to want to be with him, to experience the glory that he has experienced with the Father from before the foundation of the world. So how long is the love of Christ? It's long enough to keep us for all eternity. Long enough to outlast our sins and failures. Long enough to finish the good work that he's begun in us. How broad is the love of Christ? It's broad enough to accept and embrace everyone who comes to him for mercy. How high is the love of Christ? It's high enough to exalt us to the glory he has had with the Father from before the foundation of the world. It's high enough to lift us out of the pit of our sin to the pinnacle of his throne and all of this is possible only because of the depth of Christ's love. How deep is the love of Jesus? Now we're peering into the bottomless ocean of Christ's sacrificial love. In his willingness to be our Savior, he descended from the heights of heaven down to earth. I mean, he became one of us and he became a servant but he went deeper still. He humbled himself and he became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, God opened up that, that fiery furnace of wrath that he was going to endure. He showed him that cup of wrath that he was going to drink down to the dregs. And Jesus willingly embraced the suffering that it was going to take to rescue us from our sins. None of us has a love that's deep enough to endure what his love endured for us. Not even for our friends, but Jesus did it for us when we were still his enemies. He knew full well what it would cost him, and he went to the cross. 
And as Spurgeon put it, he looked down from that cross and he saw everyone denying him and betraying him and rejecting him and mocking him. And in the greatest act of love in the history of the world, he stayed. He stayed on that cross and he plunged himself into the abyss of the hell that our sins deserve. He experienced in his agony what it was like to be a blasphemer, a murderer, an adulterer, an abuser, a thief, a liar, and every other sin we committed. And he cried out on that cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me as he experienced the wrath that our sins deserve? I read this paragraph in a book that I think speaks to the depth of Christ's love. He said, some of us think that the things we've done or repeatedly done in a red light district or on a battlefield or in the office or on the internet or in our imagination are too terrible to be forgiven. We need to grasp that Jesus Christ not only knows the filthy things that we've done and the far more numerous things that we've completely failed to even consider doing, and he willingly accepted deep into his soul all the punishments that we deserve. That's the depth of Christ's love. Last week, I had the privilege of speaking with a friend, a meaningful conversation about the gospel. He's a friend from another nation and another religion. I've really been praying for this young man that he will come to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And as I shared this story of what God has done for sinners from Genesis to Revelation, I, I was pleading with him, inviting him to trust in Jesus, to seek to know him better. And this friend said to me, Ultimately, all of us have the same God. All of us have a loving God. There's one question that I wish I would have asked him. These things always come to you later. I wish I, wish I would have asked him, what did it cost your God to love you? What did it cost your God to love you? Think about it. How would a secular American who believes in some generic God who just loves everyone, how would they answer that question? What did it cost your God to love you? How would a Muslim answer that question? How would a Buddhist answer that question? And what a contrast to how a Christian answers that question. Christian, what did it cost your God to love you? That's what we're called to ponder. That's what we're called to meditate on. That, that's what we're called to pray that the Spirit of God would enable us to comprehend so that we will be thunderstruck by the love of God for us in Christ as we take communion together. How wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. As the Holy Spirit enables us to comprehend the dimensions of his love for us, we are being changed. We are being filled, Paul says in verse 19, to the measure of all the fullness of God. And it's through this experience of comprehending how he loves us. 
slowly but surely, we're being changed until we will finally be like Jesus, filled to the measure of all the fullness of God, and we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. So as we stand together now, let's sing of the love of God that he has for us in Jesus. And let's keep meditating on how long and how wide, how high and how deep is his love that surpasses knowledge as we prepare our hearts to take the Lord's Supper together.